Well, brothers and sisters, it is a joy to be able to open the Word of God with you this morning. And uh, I invite you to um, either open with me or look with me on your uh, uh, bulletins there at Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 6. And as you, as you go there, I thought I'd just take a, a brief minute to, to thank you as a church for your support and for your prayers uh, for Becca and me as we prepare for serving in Cambodia. It's a real uh, blessing and encouragement to know that you are partnering with us in this, this work. Uh, one thing you should understand about missionaries is they like to preach about missions. And I think that's an important reminder for all of us um, all the time. It's, it's easy um, for us, like the church in Laodicea, to grow lukewarm, to, to lose that, that sense of passion and zeal for, for sharing the gospel and reaching the nations with, with the good news of Christ. And so hopefully this will be a, a good reminder as we look at Isaiah 49. Now, my wife and I have a heart for the nations, but she also understand this, this desire, this passion we have, it has a foundation, and that foundation is God's own heart for the nations. And I think one of the passages that highlights it best is the passage before us this morning, Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 to 6. So I'm eager to unpack this passage a bit for you all this morning. And so let's look together at Isaiah 49. I'll begin in verse 1 and read through verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and, and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, whose word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, open and illuminate our minds now that we may purely and perfectly understand your word and that our lives may be conformed according to what we understand so that in everything we may be pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask. Amen. If you just had a, a few words to describe Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he has done and what he continues to do, I wonder what words you would choose. There's a lot of good words out there, right? Maybe Lord and Savior. Maybe prophet, priest, and king. Maybe the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe the Alpha and the Omega. Again, you can't really go wrong. There's no bad choices out there. 
But I wonder how many of you would choose this word to describe Jesus. Missionary. Missionary. It's probably not a word that pops into your mind when you think about Jesus. And perhaps that's because it's not a a title that's ever explicitly given to Jesus in the Bible. In fact, the word missionary, much like a lot of other words like Trinity and so on, it never occurs in the pages of Scripture. And yet, while that is certainly the case, there's no question that the Scriptures uh, describe and picture Jesus as functioning and being a missionary. At the most basic level, what is a missionary? A missionary is, is someone who is sent out to reach a certain group of people with the gospel and to make disciples among them. And if you think about Jesus, that definition matches him perfectly. He was sent out. He was sent out to proclaim the good news and to make disciples. He came, as he himself said, to, to seek, to save the loss. And this is something that is seen very clearly in the Gospels and throughout the New Testament. What you should understand, though, is that the missionary calling of Jesus has its origins long before the, the New Testament and, and before the Gospels. In fact, I would submit to you that the, the missionary calling of Jesus has its origin in, in what some Reformed theologians have called the covenant of redemption. It's that inter-Trinitarian covenant in which the, the members of the Trinity, they formulate a plan of redemption in which Jesus agrees to be sent by the Father to bring about our salvation. Jesus agreed to be sent. He agreed to be the first missionary. And he agreed to do this from eternity past. And so it's no surprise, even when we scan the pages of the Old Testament, we find repeated references to this Messiah that is going to come sent by the Father to proclaim good news and to bring about salvation. And if you look closely, you will find references all over the Old Testament. As I mentioned, though, one of my favorites, and I think one that so clearly captures the missionary calling of Jesus, is Isaiah 49, 1-6. This passage is typically viewed as one of the four servant songs of the book of Isaiah. These servant songs are, are, are passages of Scripture that more clearly and specifically look forward to the person and work of Jesus Christ specifically highlighting his role as a servant. And Isaiah 49 in particular, I think, most vividly captures the missionary task of this coming Messiah. And it does so in autobiographical form. It's from the perspective of the servant, Jesus himself. And it's through this passage that God calls you to remember who Jesus is. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what he came to do. And as a result, follow in his, his missionary Example. Okay, and so I'm excited to look with you a little bit more about this passage. And and to make our way through this passage, I want to consider five aspects of Jesus' mission here in Isaiah 49. Okay, five aspects of Jesus' mission, which will hopefully help you to better understand the person and work of Jesus Christ and motivate you to seek to follow in his footsteps. The first aspect of Jesus' mission that I'd like to draw your attention to this morning is the, the authority for his mission. Okay, the authority for his mission. In other words, I want you to see that the mission of Jesus is not something of his own initiative. It's not something he came up with completely on his own and decided to do. It's something he was called and appointed to do, to be the servant of another person. 
which we see here in several verses in this passage. Just as a reminder, this is an autobiographical um, servant song. So it's from the perspective of Jesus himself. And notice then what the servant Jesus says in the second half of verse 1. He says, The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. Okay, so the, the authority to do this work, this mission that we're going to, to read about here, it doesn't come from myself. God the Father has appointed me. He's prepared me for this. He's called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he's named my name. You think of Jeremiah the prophet. He was set apart to be a prophet to the nations from the womb. Apostle Paul, likewise, set apart to be an apostle from the womb. And similarly, we we see here Jesus set apart, consecrated to this work from the womb. You'll you'll see very similar language in in verse 5 as well. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. Now, this does not mean, this, this idea of, of forming, this does not mean that God the Father created Jesus. The language of forming from the womb is not meant to be understood as some creative act in which the Father is, is composing and bringing life to, to Jesus. The rest of Scripture makes it very clear that Jesus was not created. He has eternally been the, the Son of God, of one substance and power with the Father and the Spirit. So what, what I think this language of, of forming from the womb highlights is the fact that Jesus, to use the words of the Nicene Creed, is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. And this language also emphasizes... I think, as E.J. Young puts it, that the servant is God's and he belongs to him and serves him. Jesus is the father's servant. Look at verse three. That's the father speaking. And he, and he says to Jesus, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Jesus is a servant of the father. The authority for this mission came from his Father. And if you look to the New Testament, this is something we see repeated references to, especially in the Gospel of John. Listen to these words from John chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Jesus says this, I have much to say about you, much to judge, but he who sent me is true. I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And they didn't understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Okay, do you hear those words from Jesus? I don't do things on my own authority. I didn't come up with this. I speak as the Father has told me to speak. I do as the Father has told me to do. I am his servant, having come to earth, Not to do my own will, but the will of my Father in in heaven. And and so, brothers and sisters, Jesus is calling to mission. His authority for mission came from the Father. You could say that he was not a self-made missionary. He did what he did under the direction and the appointment of his Father in heaven. He was was an obedient servant. Okay, so the Father calls the Son, appoints him to this work, but the Father doesn't send out this servant empty-handed. Right before you head off on a mission, what do you need? 
You need to be prepared, right? Just like soldiers who head off to war, they, they spend years preparing for battle. Just like athletes, before they compete, they spend years preparing. Jesus, as well, needed to be prepared before heading out. And how exactly did the Father prepare his servant Jesus for this mission? That's the second aspect of Jesus' mission that I want you to consider. The, the instrument or the weapon for Jesus' mission. The instrument or the weapon for Jesus' mission. You'll notice what our text says in verse 2. Jesus, again, is speaking here, and he says, He, that is my Father, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. God has fashioned his servant for service, and how has he done so? By making his mouth like a sharp sword, by making him a polished arrow. Notice what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say he gave me a a physical sword to swing with my hands. He gave me physical arrows to shoot. No, he's made my mouth like a sword. He's made me a a polished arrow. I, I am the weapon. More specifically, my mouth is... The weapon, that's my instrument. The words that I speak will be like swords and arrows. This is who the coming servant will be. He will be a prophet, one who speaks forth the truth, the good news of the gospel. And the word that he speaks will be living and active. It will be sharper than any two-edged sword, like piercing arrows that pierce to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word will be to one fragrance from death to death and to the other fragrance from life to life. Again, listen to these words from E.J. Young. He says this, Through the servant's mouth, the truth of redemption will be proclaimed to the poor and needy. What is set forth here is the servant as prophet. And the word of the prophet brings life in judgment. And so what is the servant's instrument? What is his Weapon. It is, it is his mouth. It is the words that he speaks or the truth that he proclaims. This is how the Father equipped Jesus for this mission. Because his mission, you see, his mission is primarily a mission of proclamation. When Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels, what is, what is he doing? He's preaching. He's proclaiming. He's announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. This is This is what made up the majority of Jesus' public ministry, if you think about it. Verbal proclamation. Hear those words again from John 8 that I quoted earlier. Jesus says, I have much to say about you, much to judge. I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And later on, he says, I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of speaking forth the truth. Now, to be sure, Jesus did other things as well. We must not miss those things. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He casted out demons. Absolutely. But, and this is an important but, the core of Jesus' mission to this earth was not mercy ministry, but it was gospel proclamation. Because it is the message of the gospel alone that can transform the heart of the sinner and bring them to, to faith. And that involves the use of one's mouth. You you can't proclaim the gospel without using your mouth. You can live in a way that adorns the gospel. Yes, absolutely. But the gospel is a message. It's a message 
of good news. And unless you open your mouth and speak, no one will hear this news. It's part of the reason why Beck and I are so eager to go to Cambodia, because there are Cambodians living in remote villages who may go their entire lives without ever hearing the good news of the gospel preached to them. It's the reality of, of, of life for some people in certain parts of the world. There's a great need for this message of the gospel to be proclaimed. And that means using our mouths to preach and to share the gospel. That was Jesus' weapon. That was his instrument, his mouth. But just because Jesus had this, this instrument, this weapon, his mouth, we must remember this didn't mean everything was easy for him. His words that he spoke were, were well received by some, but rejected by many others. Jesus' mission was difficult at times. And that's, that's the third aspect of Jesus' mission that I'd like you to notice. The hardship of Jesus' mission. The hardship of Jesus' mission. You'll notice this in particular in verse 4, where, where Jesus, the servant, he says, I've labored in vain. Labored in vain, I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. You can hear the despondency, the dejection in his voice here. I've given myself to this mission. I've toiled day and night. It's all been for nothing. I've preached and I've called and they've refused to come. Their ears are heavy, their eyes are blind, their hearts are hard. I think it's most likely that these words here are a reference to the, the stubbornness of the Jews among whom Jesus ministered. This is how the Gospel writer John explains Jesus' ministry in John 1. He says, Jesus, he was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, that is the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. If you go to John 8, the, the chapter I've quoted a few times now, you, you have some people who believe in Jesus, but then you have lots of people who reject Jesus. And in fact, there are, at the end of John 8, you have large mobs of angry Jews who pick up stones to throw at Jesus because they hate him that much. And that was not an isolated occurrence, right? This is something we see throughout Jesus' public ministry, him being persecuted by his own people, culminating ultimately in his death upon the cross. Remember this weapon that Jesus has, his mouth, it's like a sword. What the sword do? The sword divides. And so some rejoice at the message. Others, others hate it. And they become violent. And I think when you keep those things in mind, the words here in Isaiah 49 verse 4 begin to make a little bit more sense. I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and, and vanity. It's an expression of, of frustration and discouragement that Jesus surely felt at times when his ministry was, was hard, when he was giving all that he had to this work. He had this life-transforming transforming message, and yet he often saw so little positive results. Remember, Jesus, he's truly God, and yet he's also Truly, man, he humbled himself by being born in the likeness of, of men. So he, he is a man, and yes, he is sinless, but he experienced the full range of human emotions, grief and fear, discouragement. And so verse 4 is not meant to be understood as this an expression of unbelief. 
It's simply a, a genuine acknowledgement of the frailty and the weakness that he had in going about such a difficult mission. That this is hard work. Not always seeing the, the fruit of it. But you'll know, and this is what's so great about this passage. The servant here doesn't remain in this state of despondency. He doesn't remain discouraged and, and dejected. The mission was hard. Yes, there were many who would continue to reject him. And yet the servant here finds comfort. He finds encouragement and hope. That's a, that's a fourth aspect of Jesus' mission I want you to see, that the encouragement for his, his mission. And the servant's encouragement for mission here is found... Where? In looking to God. And looking to His Heavenly Father and remembering that God the Father is with Him. He says at the end of verse 4, right after these words that I just read, He says, Yet surely my right is with the Lord, my recompense with my God. The word there for my right could be literally translated judgment. My, my judgment is with the Lord. The, a, a reference there to the, the judgment of justification that God the Father will declare concerning His servant Jesus that He has obeyed, that He has done what is good and right. Jesus says my, my recompense, the reward for my work, it is with God. It's in God's hands. yes. Yes, this mission is hard. Yes, it's discouraging and frustrating at times. But this is what God has called me to do. And furthermore, he, he sees it all. This work is not going unnoticed. He's going to take care of me. God is he's on my, my side. And therefore, I can labor on with confidence and encouragement. I'm going to entrust myself to the one who judges justly. So Peter says that, Jesus did amidst the persecutions and insults he faced. He, he didn't retaliate. He didn't threaten. He entrusted himself to his Father in heaven. And then also note what the, the servant says in verse 5. It says, The Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be a servant. So he recalls again that God had called him to the service. And then he says, For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Here again, this encouragement, this assurance. I'm going to be justified. I'm, I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, though few, few of the Jewish nation were converted by Christ's preaching and miracles, and many of them loaded him with disgrace, yet God put honor upon him and made him glorious. And so although he may have been despised in the eyes of, of men, he would be esteemed in the eyes of, of God. That, that was his encouragement. And in fact, God himself would be Jesus' strength. God has become my strength, he says here. Is it not the Father that would strengthen and equip Jesus for his mission on earth? Throughout his ministry, where does Jesus repeatedly look? Just looking to his Father in heaven. To whom does he repeatedly pray? Often going away for nights in prayer. He's going to his Father in, in heaven because God the Father was his strength. So you see, yes, on the one hand, Jesus' mission is, is marked by hardship and difficulty. It wasn't always easy. It was discouraging. It was difficult at times. But, but here we also see Jesus' encouragement to labor on, to continue going I'm not alone in this. God is with me. God is my strength. He's going to vindicate me and give me the proper reward at the right time. That was Jesus' encouragement in the midst of the hardship of his mission. 
Well, that brings me to the fifth and final aspect of Jesus' mission that I'd like you to make note of this morning. To this point, we still haven't figured out where this mission is going, to whom, what, what group of people is Jesus trying to reach. And that's the fifth aspect of Jesus' mission. This is my favorite. That's, it's the breadth of Jesus' mission, the breadth, or, or you might say the measure of his mission. And we see this highlighted at both the, the beginning and the end of this passage. In a sense, it is what bookends this unit of Scripture. Notice how verse 1 begins. Listen to me. And then what does it say there? Listen to me, O house of Israel. Listen to me, O, o you of Jacob. You know, that's how a lot of passages in Isaiah begin. Listen to me, O house of Israel. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. That's not how this passage begins here. Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from Afar. Here's Jesus. Here's the prophet. And he is commanding the whole world to listen to him, to give attention to his word. And why should all these faraway nations have anything to do with this word of Jesus? Why should they pay attention to what the servant is saying? Well, it becomes very clear in verse six, because the servant's mission is not just for the people of Israel. It's for the nations of the earth. It's for all the peoples. It is for the coastlands and for the peoples from afar. Verse 6, this is God the Father speaking to His Son. He says this, it is, It's too light a thing that you should be My servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that My salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Let me read that one more time. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's an amazing verse. It's one of those verses that just makes me stop and say, like, wow, really? It's... It's too light of a thing. It's, it's too small of a thing that you should restore and bring salvation to Israel. I, I don't know about you, but that doesn't really sound like a light thing to me, especially considering the state of Israel, this backslidden and disobedient nation. It sounds like a pretty significant and weighty thing to accomplish, the restoring of Israel. You know, as Beck and I are preparing to serve overseas, Cambodia, when we think about serving in Cambodia and, and being there for the furtherance of the gospel, in many ways it seems like this huge thing. Right? Doing ministry in this foreign culture and a different language, trying to bring the gospel to a, a country that's over 95% Buddhist, so few Christians. It, it doesn't seem like a small thing, even though it is only one country. And yet God says here, you know, restoring Israel, bringing salvation to the nation of Israel, that is, that is too light of a thing. That is way too small. My servant is not just going to be about restoring Israel. He is not just going to be about bringing salvation to Cambodia. My servant is going to be a light to all of the nations of the world so that all peoples experience my salvation. So wonderful, wonderful news. Now, on the one hand, 
for those who were reading this, this shouldn't have been a complete surprise. Because this wasn't some sort of new revelation. This is what God has always been about. You go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, and Abraham, God tells Abraham, he's going to bless him, he's going to make his name great. Genesis 12, verse 3, I'm going to bless those who bless you, him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Okay, so this was God's intention all the way back in the time of Abraham, that all the families of the earth would be blessed. So, uh, on the one hand, again, this, this shouldn't be shocking. This isn't some new revelation that these people are receiving. And yet, on the other hand, this, this shocks me every single time I, I, I read it. Ever just stop when you read a certain passage of Scripture and say, wow, like that's, this is incredible here. That, that God desires to bring salvation, not just to one stubborn and hard-hearted people, but to all of the stubborn and hard-hearted peoples all across this world that cast off all restraint, that reject God's law, that do what is right in their own eyes, that God would tell his servant Jesus, I'm going to make you a light to all of these people, that my salvation may stretch to the ends of the earth. You see, this is, this is the breadth, this is the measure of Jesus' mission. It's his twofold task. It, it, is, it is Israel and it is all the nations. It's Jew as well as Gentile. Now, here's a question for you is, how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus accomplish this? Because you might say Jesus' primary concern during his ministry on earth was for the Jewish people. And that, that's right. Um, there, there's no denying that. And yet we must not miss that even though that is the case, time and time again throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus ministering to, caring for, loving Gentile people. Think of the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Think of Jesus' healing of the Gerasene demoniac in, in Mark 5, a Gentile man that Jesus casts a demon out of. Or Mark 7, Jesus interacts with a, a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter has been demon-possessed, and he, and he heals her. Very clear examples in the Gospels of Jesus being a light to the nations, to people outside of the nation of, of Israel. But the other way that Jesus functions as a light to the nations, one way that he fulfills the prophecy here in Isaiah 49, verse 6, is by sending out his disciples to reach these places with the gospel. So you see, yes, Jesus, on the one hand, he personally ministered to Gentiles during his time on earth. But he also ministered to them by sending out his representatives, that is, his disciples, to them. He was on a mission by the Father, and one way he works to complete that mission is by sending out others. That's John 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus was both a sent one, both a missionary, as well as a sender. The most obvious example of this is the well-known Great Commission, right? Jesus, he commands his disciples to go, make disciples, Panta ta ethne of all nations. Or consider the last words of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is right before his ascension up to heaven. And what does he say to his disciples? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. To the end of the earth. Where do you think those words come from? To the end of the earth. They come from here 
and Isaiah 49, verse 6. So you see, Jesus was not just a sent one, not just a goer, but he was also a sender. And it is in this sense, viewing Jesus as a sender, that, that we can see how Jesus, he continues to fulfill the words of Isaiah 49 even today. Even today. That, that's what's great about this passage. Jesus is fulfilling this right now. He continues to bring back Israel and be a light to the nations. His salvation continues to stretch forth through those that he sends, through his church, through people like, like you and me. See, this is the point in the sermon where things become a little bit more personal. Um, we've looked so far at five aspects of Jesus' mission. The authority he had for his mission, his weapon, the hardship of his mission, the encouragement for his mission, the, the breadth of his mission. But, th- but those five aspects, they don't apply only to the mission of Jesus. They also apply to the mission of the church. They apply to you and to me, just, just as Jesus. Think about this. Just as Jesus was the servant of the Father, as he was called and appointed to this work by the Father, so you and I, we are, we are called and appointed by Jesus. Jesus has called us. We are his servants. And through his great commission, he has called us to play a part in this work. Just as Jesus' weapon was his mouth, the words that he spoke, our, our weapon is very similar, isn't it? It's the word of God. It's the proclamation of the gospel. You're called to speak, to share this good news. Just as Jesus faced hardship and difficulties, you are surely going to face the same things. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you. If Jesus faced rejection, you're going to face rejection at times. And yet you also have the same encouragement for mission that Jesus had. God is with you. Jesus promises to be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the promise in the Great Commission. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He sees what you do. He will not let your hard work and labor for the gospel go unrewarded. Your vindication and your justification is in God's hands. He is your strength and your support and your help amidst the difficulties you face. And just as Jesus... As he was called to be a light to the nations, to reach out beyond his own people group. So you are called to do the same, not to limit the proclamation of the gospel to to your own people, to your own ethnic group, but to be involved in whatever way you can in helping the gospel advance to the end of the earth. It may mean sending, it may mean going, whatever the case is, you have a part to play. See, this was Jesus' mission. And now, brothers and sisters, it is, it is your mission. And so it's, it's my prayer that you would have two primary takeaways from this passage. The first is that you might have a clear picture of who Jesus is and what he came to do. He came to earth as a missionary sent by the Father to proclaim the good news of the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. That's who Jesus is, a missionary sent to reach sinners with his salvation, a salvation accomplished at at Calvary as Christ was pierced for our transgressions. That's wonderful news. Jesus came to earth as a missionary to save sinners. So I hope you'll be able to stand in awe of who 
Jesus is and what he came to do. But, but secondly, I also hope that you understand that you have a role to play as well. The Father sends Jesus, and now Jesus sends you. We, we are to be a reflection of Jesus following in his footsteps. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. As I sow you. That's the pattern. As we are sent out, as we are involved in the mission, we reflect, we mirror the arrival of the ultimate missionary, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, may God give us all grace daily to remember who Jesus is, remember what he came to do, and as a result, to follow in his missionary example, being imitators of our Lord and Savior as we bring the gospel to the nations. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God. We do give you abundant thanks for this, your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who speaks, who has revealed truth. And we thank you, Lord, for the truths revealed here in this passage of Scripture, Isaiah 49. Oh, Lord, we confess that in many ways, Lord, that we have been lukewarm, that we have often not prioritized, Lord, the, the proclamation of the gospel in our own lives and helping the gospel go forth to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. And we pray, Lord, that as we consider the example of Jesus, the ultimate missionary, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to remember him, stand in awe of him. And Lord, that as a result, that you would help us by the strength that you provide through the power of your spirit to follow in his missionary example, Lord. As we look around this world, we see so many people in need of Jesus Christ, so many without the gospel. Would you cause your gospel to go forth? Would you be pleased to use us, your people, for the furtherance of the gospel, both here in, in Rochester, in the state of Minnesota, throughout this country, and all across this world. God, to this end, we, we pray and we ask for your help because we know that this is not possible in our own strength. You are with us always, even to the end of the age. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.